0: Oh my, that's Pastor Rob there for you. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you here this morning. Get your Bibles out, if you would. Isaiah chapter 58. And when Lisa was talking about the coffee mugs being tea mugs, all I heard was ladies' voices. I didn't hear any low voices at all in that. Isaiah 58, Um, we've been doing a series around here that we are calling Open Your Eyes and we've been looking at this um, chapter here in Isaiah uh, 58. So if you join me, starting here in verse 1, it says, Shout, a full-throated shout. Hold nothing back, a trumpet-blast shout. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face my family, Jacob, with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship and love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me, what's the right thing to do? And "'Love having me on their side,' but they also complain. "'Why do we fast and you don't look our way? "'Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? "'Well, here's why. "'The bottom line on your fast days is profit. "'You drive your employees much too hard. "'You fast, but at the same time you bicker and fight. "'You fast, but you swing a mean fist. "'The kind of fasting you do "'won't get your prayers off the ground. "'Do you think this is the kind of fast day I'm after, "'a day to show off humility?' To put on a pious long face and parade around solemnly in black? Do you call that a fasting, a fast day that I, God, would like? This is the kind of fast day I'm after, to break the chains of injustice, to get rid of exploitation in the workplace, to free the oppressed, to cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. Do this, and the lights will turn on, and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help, and I'll say, here I am. If I get rid of if you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins. If you're generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lies will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I'll always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life, the emptiest places, firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry." You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew, to rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. If you watch your step on the Sabbath and you don't use my holy day for personal advantage, if you treat the Sabbath as a day of joy, God's holy day is celebration. If you honor it by refusing business as usual, making money, running here and there, Then you'll be free to enjoy God. Oh, I'll make you ride high and soar above it all. I'll make you feast on the inheritance of your ancestor Jacob. Yes, God says so. There's so much jam-packed in this chapter, and we've been talking over the last couple weeks how easy it is to look at the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to preach and to demonstrate and just to see it from this personal perspective of this get out of hell card for me. It's easy just to make the Bible all about me, egocentric and what I can get out of this. But what we've been talking about here over the last several weeks is that if all that Jesus came to do was for our own salvation, for the forgiveness of our sins, if that's the only thing that God is interested to, in doing in our lives and in the world, then we would have to cut out about 2,000 different verses from our Bible. That's what this is. The last couple of weeks I've been unrolling this all the way down the aisle because it's so long. Because these verses, we tend to cut these out, all these verses that have to do with others and what the Bible describes as the least of these. And when you do that, what you're left with is a Bible that's torn and tattered and and has a lot of holes in it. But I think this is the essence of what our American theology has become. It's become so centered around us, so centered around me and just what I can get out of this. And we forget about others. We've torn out all the others and the least of these, what God is wanting to do with the rest of the world. We've torn those out of our Bible and we live our lives more based upon this type of theology with these out of our Bible. But I've been talking about the last couple of weeks that when we think about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God that Jesus came to preach and to demonstrate was intended to change and to challenge Everything, everything, not just you, not just me, but everything in our world here today. When the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse nine, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, on earth as it is in heaven. See, the kingdom of God is not just something for the future, it's not just something when we get to heaven. The kingdom of God is for here and for now. It's intended to change and to challenge everything in our world today. And so the kingdom of God was never a means for us to leave this world. The kingdom of God was never intended for us to forsake this world or to escape this world. But instead, the kingdom of God is actually there to redeem every aspect of this world in the here and now. And so with that in mind, what does God expect of us? What does God expect of us? In other words, what is this Christian faith really about? Because is the Christian faith just simply about coming to church every Sunday or every week or when the doors are open for the rest of your life? Is that that what the Christian life is about? Is the Christian life about saying grace before every meal that you eat? Is the Christian life about avoiding the most serious of sins? Is that what the Christian life is about? Is the Christian life about praying and reading your Bible and worshiping? Is it about believing and self-denial? Is that what this is about? Is that what the Christian faith is all about? Or does God expect something else from us? Look what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 24. He says, "...but it's trouble ahead if you think you have it made." What, have, what you have is all that you'll ever get. And it's trouble ahead if you're satisfied with yourself. Yourself will not satisfy you for long. And it's trouble ahead if you think life's all fun and games. There's suffering to be met, and you're going to meet it. There's trouble ahead when you live only for the approval of others, saying what flatters them and doing what indulges them popularity contests are not truth contests look at how many scoundrel preachers were approved by your ancestors your task is to be true not popular somebody need to hear that this morning your task is to be true not popular come on turn to your neighbor your neighbor need to hear that turn to your neighbor tell your neighbor your task is to be true not popular verse 27 to you who are ready for the truth, are you ready for the truth there this morning? Yeah. Come on, folks, is that why you came to church this morning? Yeah. To you who are ready for the truth, I say this, love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energies of prayer for that person. If someone slaps you in the face, stand there and take it. If someone grabs your shirt, gift wrap your best coat and make it a present of it. If someone takes unfair advantage of you, use the occasion to practice the servant life. No more tit-for-tat stuff. Live generously. Here's a simple rule of thumb for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative and do it for them. If you only love the lovable, do you expect a pat on the back? Run-of-the-mill sinners do that. If you only help those who help you, do you expect a medal? Garden-variety sinners do that. If you only give for what you hope to get out of it, do you think that's charity? The stingiest of pawnbrokers does that. I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives towards us, generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. Our Father is kind. You be kind. Don't pick up Pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults unless, of course, you want the same treatment. Don't condemn those who are down. That hardness can boomerang. Be easy on people. You'll find life a lot easier. Give away your life. You'll find life given back, but not merely given back, but given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. Now look what Jesus is describing here. Because he says, give away your life. Give it away. See, God asks of us everything. God asks everything of us. God asks for this total life commitment from those who would be his followers. Jesus said in Luke 14, "'If you want to be my follower, you must love me more than your own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, more than your own life.'" Otherwise, you can't be my disciple, and you can't be my disciple if you do not carry your own cross and follow me. See, God asks for everything, but you know what? Not only does God ask for everything, but he also asks that we will come alongside of him to partner with him in changing our world. It starts with fully giving our lives to him, fully surrendering to him. That's what we talked about last week. That's what he asks. He asks everything of us. But he doesn't stop there because he asks us to come alongside of him, to partner with him in changing our world, just like Jesus asked those original 12 disciples to come alongside of him to change their world 2,000 years ago. God asks us to come alongside him, to partner with him, to change our world. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Now, think about that. God has chosen you to be his representative. God has chosen you to represent him. Isn't that amazing? Now, think about that. God chose Mark Rich to be his representative. What was he thinking? I mean, the risk that God takes. To do that. Now, I understand Diane. Diane, I can understand why God would choose her. She'll represent him well. But he also chose Mark to represent. This is what God does. It's a risky thing that God would choose us to represent him. But that's exactly what he does. God calls you to go out and to proclaim the good news, to be the good news, and to make a difference in your world. See, folks, God never intended for us to live this life of faith privately. He never intended for this to be shut up in the four walls of a church building. That's not how God intended for this to be. In Jude chapter 20, He says, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of fire. If you're taking notes, underline the phrase, making a difference. Making a difference. See, the Bible describes for us that God has called each of us to make a difference in our world. Come on, turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor, God has called you to make a difference. He's called us to make a difference. Now, I understand, just as soon as we start talking about this, that for some of you, you start having this reaction. Who, me? Make a difference? There's no way, there's no way that I can make a difference in this world. And all of a sudden, we start thinking of all the reasons and all the excuses of why I can't make a difference. And we come up with all sorts of silly stuff. I'm too short, I'm too tall, I'm too fat, I'm too skinny, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too shy, I don't have this gift, I don't have this ability, I don't have this particular personality, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough time. Sure, you might be able to make a difference, but me, I can't make a difference, We start coming up with all these types of excuses. But I want you to notice what this verse doesn't say. This verse doesn't say, to those of you who have lots of money, make a difference. That's not what it says. It doesn't say, to those of you who have lots of time on your hands, make a difference. It doesn't say, to those of you who have this personality or this giftings or these talents, you guys make a difference. That's not what he says, does it? He says, you, we are to make a difference in our world today. When you think about it, this 21st century world that we live in now drastically needs a change, doesn't it? I mean, just hearing the headlines every single day causes the sense of alarm, I think, for every one of us. Because we hear about all sorts of terrorist activities and terrorist threats and terrorist attacks almost every single day. Ethnic and religious tensions across the world, wars and conflicts and worldwide poverty and hunger, global economic turmoil, this this nuclear disaster type of intimidation that's happening all around, sex trafficking and, and child slavery. These are our headlines that we live with now every single day and it's absolutely overwhelming. And so, for most of us, I think what happens when we start hearing these world problems, they just seem too big. They seem too hard. I mean, after all, what can I do? And so, as a result, so many of us, we tend to just kind of bury our heads in the sand. We, we kind of close our eyes and plug our ears because, la, 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 I don't want to hear about it. It's just too big. It's too hard. And so, it's just easier for us to retreat back into our comfortable worlds, into our comfortable houses, into our comfortable recliner chairs. I don't want to hear it. It's just too big. It's just too hard. But what does God expect of us? What does God expect of us? Because as Christians, do we have the option of turning away from the world's problems? Look at this in Isaiah chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. What will you do on the day of reckoning when disaster comes from afar? To whom will you run for help? Where will you leave your riches?" Nothing will remain but to cringe among the captives or fall among the slain. Yet for all of this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. You know, all you have to do is just begin to read your Bible just a little bit and see that God is pretty insistent that we are to bring his light and his love and his healing to this world. We can't turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to the things that are going on around us. Now, I admit, I'm talking about things here this morning from a very biased perspective. I, I, I can admit that to you here this morning. Because I believe God so loved the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. I admit, I'm coming from a biased perspective where I believe God loves the world. And so if Jesus was willing to die to give his life for this world, maybe I need to care about it too. Maybe I need to love a little bit more the people who are in this world. Maybe I need to recognize that I have a responsibility to love this world that Jesus gave his life for maybe that should change how i look at the world and how i and i how i live my life because if my faith if my personal faith has no positive outward expression then my faith has as many holes as this bible that's been cut up and that's how i end up living my life i call myself a christian but where do i live it out publicly i don't how many remember johnny cash any of you remember johnny cash come on it's texas surely right <laughs> Any of you remember his song, um, No Earthly Good? Any of you remember that song? <sighs> no, because it's as, it's as twangy as it gets. You can go to YouTube and, and, and watch it later, but it's a little hard to listen to. But the words are fantastic. Listen to the words of this song. Come hear me, good brothers. Come hear one and all. Don't brag about standing or you'll surely fall. You're shining your lights, yes, shine it, you should, but you're so heavenly minded and you're no earthly good. No earthly good, no earthly good, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You're shining your light, yes, and shine it, you should, but you're so heavenly minded and you're no earthly good. Come hear me, good sisters, you're salt of the earth. If your salt isn't salted, then what is it worth? You could give someone a cool drink if you would, but you're so heavenly minded and you're no earthly good. No earthly good, you're no earthly good. You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You could give someone a cool drink if you would, but you're so heavenly minded and you're no earthly good. If you're holding heaven, then spread it around. There are hungry hands reaching up here from the ground. Moreover, and move over and share the high ground where you stood so heavenly-minded, and you're no earthly good. No earthly good, you're no earthly good. You're so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. Move over and share the high ground where you stood, so heavenly-minded, and you're no earthly good. No. Pretty well-written, isn't it? Yeah. But this is the point that I'm making here. The Apostle James says a very similar thing in James chapter 2, verse 18. It says, show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. In other words, make your faith public. Don't live it privately. Make your faith public. So it's embracing the gospel that Jesus proclaimed is so much more than this private interaction between just God and us. It's so much more than that. The gospel itself is God's vision for a changed people and a changed culture, challenging and transforming the prevailing values and practices of this world. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, God challenges us then to embrace radically different standards from that of the world. We're to live differently than the rest of the world. I mean, think about this. We're called to love our neighbors as ourselves. We're to prefer others more than we prefer ourselves. But not just the lovable, not just the ones that you like just naturally, but we're even to love our enemies. We're to love our enemies. We're to forgive those who have wronged us. We're to lift up the poor and the downtrodden. We're to share what we have with those who have less. We're to live lives of sacrifice. Why? Because our lives are not our own. This is not our home. We are here to represent God. Not you and what you have, but you're here to represent God while we're here on this earth. And when we do this, your, our lives will have an effect on the world around us, just like light has an effect on darkness. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to, to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. See, folks, light dispels darkness, truth dispels falsehood, goodness reverses evil. And this is what God has called you and me too. This is what God wants us to be in the world in which we live. But here's the challenge for every one of us, because this is not easy to do. This isn't easy to do. Since the very beginning, people who have called themselves followers of Jesus Christ have struggled to live their lives differently in a world that rejects our values and mocks our beliefs. This has been happening since Jesus left. And the temptation for every generation of Christians is just simply to to retreat from this world and to keep our faith private. That's been the temptation for every generation of Christians since Jesus left planet Earth. It's just that we retreat. We retreat from this world, and we just keep this faith public. G.K. Chesterton, who was an English um, journalist back in the 1800s, he said it this way. He said, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and not tried. And yet, God calls us to be carriers of the gospel, the whole gospel that was meant to change this world. Listen, folks, that's why belief is not enough. That's why coming to church is not enough. That's why personal morality is not enough. That's why even Christian community is not enough. There's more to this gospel that Jesus has for every one of so us. There's more purpose to your life than just doing it for yourself. So I have a question here for each one of us here this morning, because... What if each of us decided with this renewed commitment to open our eyes to the world around us and to embrace the good news, the whole gospel, not Cutting these out of our lives, not cutting these out of our theology, not cutting these out the practical aspect of how we live our life, but truly embracing the good news, the whole whole gospel, and then demonstrating it through our lives, not just in big, grandiose ways, but in small, everyday ways. What if we were to do that? What would happen if each of us would just simply say, God, use me, use me to change this world? You know, in Travis and Burnett counties, there are over 1.2 million people who live in these two counties alone. Over 1.2 million. And of that number, there are 552,000 people who claim to be Christians. 552,000 people claim to be Christians. But let me ask you a question Have we changed our counties? Have we changed our cities? Have we changed our neighborhoods? Have we changed our schools? Have we changed our government systems in these areas? What difference are we making in the world in which we live? Remember, Jesus told us to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On On earth. That's his purpose. That's what he wants to do. Bringing the kingdom of God here. And so the whole gospel is a vision of us ushering in the kingdom of God now. Not for a future time, not for a future generation, but here, right now, here on earth, here in the hill country of Texas. Not in a future heaven, not in another country, not in another city, but here right now, that we are to usher in the kingdom of God here in our area, in, 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 in Lakeway and Bee Cave and Spicewood and Briar Cliff and Marble Falls and Dripping Springs, here in the, in the hill country of Texas, where everybody wants to come to retire, here we are called to make a difference. We're called to bring the kingdom of God right here to this place. And so what if the 552,000 people who claim to be Christians here in these counties, what if we actually embrace this vision of God to transform this world through us? What could happen if we would get that inside of our heart? Let me bring you just a little bit closer to home because on Easter Sunday, um, we had um, over 1,800 people come to the 7-1 Chapel um, Easter services on Easter Sunday. And so what if, just 1,800 people in these two counties made the decision to take their faith to the next level and to ask God, God, use me. Use me to change my area here in which I live. What might God do? What might God do through us? Let me bring you just a little bit closer at home because we here at One Chapel Lake Travis on Easter Sunday, we had 381 people. And so what if we all would get this in our heart? that God could use us to change where we live, to change your neighborhood where you live? What do we get that in the heart, that God could use you to bring an amazing change and transformation to your neighborhood, to your workplace, to your school? What if you got that in your heart where you said, God, use me, use me to make a difference? What might God do through you? What might God do through us? You know, 2,000 years ago, God used only 12 men to change the entire world. Only 12. There's a little bit more than 12 here this morning, folks. So what might God do through us? What might God do through you? How might God use your family? I believe it can happen again. I've been saying this the last couple of weeks, I think this is kind of a journey that we need to take as we go through this series. Because so much of our mentality has become so Americanized. We have Americanized this, this theology of God. And it's become so me-centered. And what I can get out of this. The American dream has infused inside of this God vision that he has for us. And it's caused us to forget about the rest of the world and live, and live our lives just from this little world perspective when all the while God is doing amazing things. And he wants to use you and he wants to use me. There's, there's, a, there's a huge world out there that God wants us to go after. I have a video here this morning to think, that communicates this whole message here. Let's draw your attention to the screen. Let's watch this.
1: In my own little world it hardly ever rains I've never gone hungry, always felt safe I got some money in my pocket, shoes on my feet In my own little world, population, me I try to stay awake the Sunday morning church At a red light, looked out my window. I saw cardboard signs that helped this homeless widow. And just above that sign was the face of a human. I thought to myself, God, what have I?
0: God, break my heart for those that break your heart. That's our prayer, and I said that last week. I, I want to ask you just to continue to pray that prayer to see what God would do in your own heart because I believe that for every generation, for every generation of Christians, there's come, there comes a point where we have to make a decision. Are we going to just turn a blind eye to what's going on around us in the world? Or are we going to actually open our eyes and start making a difference in the world in which we live. And let me just say that it does require you to be able to hear God. Because there are a lot of charlatans, there are a lot of things that can distract you and use you and misuse you for sure. But this is why we need to learn how to hear the voice of God to respond to the stirring of the Holy Spirit in our own lives so that we're quick to obey. That we'll just simply say yes to when God stirs you to stop, when he stirs you to do something, when he stirs you to give. William Booth, who was a British Methodist preacher back in the 1800s and eventually founded the Salvation Army, he said it this way. He said, not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity, and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters not to come here. Then look Christ in the face, whose mercy you have professed to obey, and tell him whether you will join heart and soul body and circumstance in the march to publish his mercy to the world. This morning we're going to take communion here together. And as we take communion here together, I want you to consider this question, this commission that Jesus gave to us to go. To go and to make a difference. The Bible describes for us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave thanks and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup and he said to his disciples, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this every time you get together. Do this in remembrance of me. He told this to his disciples and just simply a, basically a few hours later, he laid down his life for you, for me, for the people of this world that God desperately loves. Jesus gave his life. And so communion is this point of response. I say this almost every time, that this is a question that's being asked and we're to answer this question. Jesus, I've given you my life. I've laid down my life for you. Will you now in turn give me your life? And as we talked here this morning, that means we give everything to him. And we come along and say, yes, God, I'll partner with you. I'll partner with you to change the world in which I live. My life is no longer my own. Here at One Chapel, we celebrate open communion, which means this. You don't have to be a member here of this church to take communion. This is not set by us. This is what Jesus established. For each one of us so if you're a believer in lord jesus christ i want to invite you to the table here how, this is how we do it here at one Chapel. we have two stations here in front one in front of each of these sections and just a second i'm just going to dismiss you and what we'll do is go from the front row back you'll exit on your right you'll circle around you'll take a piece of bread and dip it in the juice and right there where you are as you take that back to your seat and you just you answer that question to god's call on you will you go and make a difference in the world that He has put you in. All right, let's do this here together. Well that is our, our prayer here this morning. that God you would break our hearts for the things that break your heart. that God you would open our eyes to the world in which we live, that, God, we would not be a generation that retreats, that, God, we would not be a a generation that keeps our faith private. But, Lord, I pray for everyone here this morning that, God, we would be your hands and feet and arms outstretched in every place that we go this week, in the schools and their workplaces and in the places where we purchase things in grocery stores and the restaurants that we're in, even in our own homes and neighborhoods, those government places. God, that we would be light, your light, that we would bring your love and healing to this world that so desperately needs you. God, there's so much happening in our world so quickly and so easily just to get overwhelmed by all of the junk that's happening around us. Father, I pray that you would give us a revelation that goes beyond what we see just in the natural. That God, we would not give up on the people that you have not given up on. You love this world. You love the people in this world and you never give up on us. And so Father, I pray that that revelation would stir in our hearts every day this week, that our eyes would be open to the people around us, that, God, that you would stir in us and that we'd be quick just to respond in those little ways. It don't have to be always huge, enormous ways, but just those little, everyday ways to make a difference in somebody else's life. God, I pray for divine appointments for each man and woman and young person, even this week, that, God, you would put people across our path And that, God, we wouldn't be so busy, busy, busy at stuff. (laughs) That, God, our eyes would be open to see those people you put across our path. That we would be willing to be willing to what it is that you would put in our hearts this week. God, stir that in every single one of us, I pray in Jesus' name. We're going to have people up front here. We do this every single Sunday at the end of service. These men and women are here to pray with you. I say this all the time, that we're never intended to carry these things by ourselves. God puts us in families. God connects us. And so if there's things going on in your life, do you like somebody just to agree with you, to pray with you, these men and women will stick, they'll stay down here, and they'll be down here for quite a while, just kind of just hanging out here to pray with you. So please don't hurry out. I know it's the Memorial weekend, but if you have things going on in your life, no matter what it is, these men and women are to stand in faith with you, agreeing that God will meet whatever it is that's going on in your life. Again, I always want to show my own appreciation for all of you veterans who have served our country, given your life for us, that even we can be here this morning. Come on, everybody, put your hands together again for all of our vets. Even those who have gone before us who gave the ultimate sacrifice, giving their lives as well. Let me just speak a blessing over you here this morning. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift his countenance upon you and now give you peace. Everyone, go in peace. Have a great week this week. God bless you all. See you next week.